Hi, welcome again to Healthcare Marketing Insights for the week of August 10. This is Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, the healthcare marketing firm putting on the podcast. And joined again today by... Adam Meyer, design director at Interval. Jackie Rotaco, com coordinator. And we're Interval. together again. We are together. That's nice. Okay, we've got lots of good stuff to get to, but I'm just going to dive right into this plea, this desperate plea. And I know it's futile, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, both in this room and it, probably anybody listening to this podcast. But for the love of all that's sacred, can we please try to have a decent conversation about healthcare reform in this country? Please, that's all I'm asking. Every day I turn on the news or I see an article. Janice uh, Shaw from Health Leaders Media had a blog post about how scare tactics are the standard for anti-healthcare mm-hmm. reform ads. Uh, I posted a comment to that, which I found humorous because I was agreeing with her, saying how sad it is that the media and politicians uh, and others are basically trying to scare the living crap out of people. And then the follow-up comments on her blog were all political. <laughs> Somebody's very, very sophisticated in their responses to all of this. Uh, so somebody basically takes me to task. They say, good evening, Chris B. I understand this is not a debating forum, but... And then they go in and basically are debating healthcare reform, which is not what this conversation was about at all. Right. Then today, StarTribune.com, we'll post links to all this. Democrats getting an earful on healthcare during recess. So, you know, Congress is on recess. So here are some of the things that were in this article. One of our representatives, Tim Waltz, who actually uh, is part of my district, I believe, was at an appearance in Redwood Falls, and somebody stepped forward and declared loudly that plans for national health reform were, quote, a step toward communism. Now, what's funny about this is, depending on which channel you listen to and which rant you hear, it's either communism or fascism, mm-hmm. which are diametrically opposed. So I find it humorous that they can't pick an ism <laughs> and stick to it. And then here's some more. This is where it just gets ridiculous. Maryland Representative Frank Cradleville was hanged in effigy outside a district office in Maryland. In Texas, protesters made a tombstone with Representative Lloyd Doggett's name on it. Uh, and people are showing up at some of these events with horns painted on politician pictures and, in at least one case, a sign with the Nazi SS logo. Jeez. This is the state of debate in our nation. <laughs> and, it, and it's been this way forever, right? Yeah. Right. It reminds me of like the 1830s where you like tar and feathered people. Yeah. It's I unbelievable. Thought, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe it's just because I'm getting older and the older you get, it seems like the more aware you are of politics and the more you give a crap. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, in my lifetime, don't remember politics being as ugly as they have been, I don't know, the last... Eight years ish. That's just me. It's just been ugly, especially with the the whole scare tactic approach. Right. It's Which works. Just, it's been so prevalent and, it and does annoying work. and Yes. I don't know. I just wish people could see through that. I wish they could too. It doesn't give me a lot of faith. It's why we have a representative democracy, to be frank, and right. not a straightforward democracy, because then we would be in deep do. <laughs> And I see people who I know and respect and consider bright people voting no on Facebook to the quiz that says, do you favor a healthcare run or government run healthcare system? And I think, well, nobody favors that, but that makes it seem like that's being discussed. It's not being discussed. Right, right. 
So it's just very sad that sensationalism and scare tactics and all this uh, are driving the debate. And I hope whoever is in politics has the key owns to think about what's best. Because what this reminded me of, this article, was what must have happened when they were trying to push forward civil rights reform. People got, I mean, there was hangings, there was, you know, whatever. And if people, you know, if the politicians, those in power, had gone with that, we wouldn't have the advances we had in civil rights. So to me, this is similar. You've got to push past, you know, this fringe element on either side. And I'm not trying to take a political side. Mm -hmm. uh, But seriously, can't we please, please just talk about this? And it's very important stuff. Okay. Sorry. So Fox (laughs) done. I know I'm preaching to the choir on this. All right. So let's talk about healthcare marketing. I always promise not to get into healthcare reform. And we do. Just when I think I'm out, they well, pull it's, me it's back hard in. not to. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's everywhere. It is. It is. Okay. So uh, we're going to continue the conversation on our ideas about the intuitive state of marketing from the book we talked about last week. Uh, we got some great feedback, which made me feel better. Uh, I felt better after hearing some feedback from other people who basically said, no, this isn't a cop-out, because we asked that question. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that healthcare marketing is in what we call this intuitive state, which makes it hard to deliver um, measurements, concrete measurements that people want, is that just a cop-out? And we heard from Catherine, who works for an orthopedic group, who said it's not a cop-out at all. You just stated a nasty fact for all of marketing, however, particularly healthcare. Uh, Bob Oakley, who I know, who works for OR Live, I think he summed it up nicely. He said, if it's used as an excuse for not identifying objectives and some level of quantitative assessment, then it's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. If it's used, and he's talking about this framework of intuitive, empirical, and precision, if it's used to help set expectations on what you can measure, then it's a good framework to build confidence with. Uh, and then I thought he had a great point later. He said, I agree you can't always make a direct connection to ROI, but you can develop proxy measurements. And what he means by that is if you can't, measure certain behaviors, then you set up other potential calls to action or action steps that you can measure and you do the best you can. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to think about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we actually heard from one of the authors of the book, Jason Huang, who I hope I'm again, pronouncing his name right, uh, which this really made me feel good. So here are the people that put together this book, Clayton Christensen's you know, that group is well-renowned, is very well-respected. Mm-hmm. We were taking what they were talking about applying to medicine, and we were taking it and applying it to marketing. So, we're, you know, we're just kind of using their model. But then Jason commented uh, that when they describe intuitive work, they often use marketing as an example, which made me feel really good. So they, uh, they agree that this framework applies to marketing quite well and that it would fall into the intuitive category. Uh, he said later, other industries where data collection, customer tracking, and targeted marketing efforts seem to be progressing further into greater precision would include grocery with targeted coupons and the gambling industry where they can target promotions. The gambling industry can do a great mm. job figuring out who you are based on your right. activities and right. behavior when you go to like Las Vegas. And casinos have gotten very sophisticated about targeting offers to people based on what they gamble. Uh, they have loyalty cards which most gamblers do. Like when I go to Las Vegas, I have a loyalty card. And so they can see what I gamble. They can see what I spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll send me an offer based on all of that. Uh, and then he said, interesting that both of these latter examples typically use magnetic cards to help collect customer data. So wouldn't, couldn't we do something similar with the data 
collected whenever we swipe an insurance card. And I said, well, we just skipped right over that and went to the RFID implant. (laughs) (laughs) Now, imagine if that was in healthcare reform. Imagine if that was like somebody said that everybody had to implant an RFID chip. Now you can talk about fascism. Now you can talk about government-run healthcare. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. But I like the idea of using a card. And it's interesting. Are there any insurance cards that even work that way? There every, are, every insurance card I have ever had in my wallet is like a laminated piece of paper with yeah. numbers on it. And they have to make like a photocopy of it or write the numbers down. There are. There, there but, are. And there are companies out there that are trying to get uh, health systems to use cards just like he's talking about. Uh, and there's, I can't remember the name of the company. Maybe we can look it up and post it in the show notes. Well, it makes uh, sense. That I've seen at trade shows. It makes sense. It makes sense, but it runs into issues that we would, like we just joked about, privacy right. issues that people freak out. That yeah, but I would rather have somebody scan that thing into a database where it's not, rather than, than co- photocopy it onto a piece <laughs> of paper and stick it in my folder in the clinic. If it's photocopied in a piece of paper, it's people have, anybody has pretty easy access yeah, to but that. It's, There's it's, more of a privacy risk then than if it gets put well, into a database it's that's just encrypted. Like, it's just like digital anything, right? I mean, the music companies are fine with us making copies of cassette tapes and CDs because right. we can only do so many and they can only spread so far. As soon as you get an MP3 file, that can go to thousands of people on the click of a button. Same with digital content when it comes to health private, private health mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. So that's whether it's real or not, I think that's a big obstacle uh, but it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now, for the reason we're talking about is the exact reason people would freak out, which is to improve our ability to market right. to them. So we're kind of playing right into that fear by talking about it out loud, but that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we are marketers after all. So anyway, some nice conversation on that. Uh, I felt validated that we weren't going out too far on a limb uh, with that concept. And that we actually had the author of one of the authors of the book come through and say, yeah, marketing, definitely intuitive. So another thing, and by the way, I'm going to put this out there now. Uh, we always preface our discussions of measurement by saying we believe firmly in measuring whatever you do. Right. Uh, but I do think that because we've moved beyond the ways you can measure, we spend way more time talking about the challenges and the mm-hmm. obstacles, and we're going to do it again here in a second. Uh, but I am holding up my right hand and swearing on an invisible Bible <laughs> that moving forward, we're going to spend as much time or more talking about how to measure and what we can do as opposed to what we can't do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I want to throw out one other thing to think about what makes measurement hard, and then moving forward, whenever we talk about measurement, we're going to try to put the positives first because I think sometimes we can overwhelm the conversation with all the, well, you can't do this and it's hard to do that. And that's where I fear that it's whiny or it's a cop out. It's all stuff we believe in. Uh, but I think we talk too much about it mm-hmm. in that light. And then people just think that we're whiny and cop out. <laughs> What's cop out? Well, I think it's, it's a pretty common belief that it's difficult, especially in this industry to, to measure some of this stuff. I think you'd hear yes. that even even from people who that's what they do would say it's hard. It is. It is. But I but I talked to somebody this week who said, you know, and it it drives me a little nuts because I think it's the advice I got was what I hear politicians doing all the time, and that <laughs> drives me nuts. A politician gets asked a tough question, right? Right. So let's take Mark Sanford. I'm just going to make this up. Dude who went to Brazil for his mistress. He was hiking in the Appalachians. Right, exactly. So... 
somebody would ask him, can you help us understand how you could leave your family and your job for a weekend for this dalliance in Brazil? And a, a, a polished politician would answer, let me tell you how much I love my kids. And let me tell you how dedicated I am to my job. In other words, they're not answering the question. They're going around it with positives. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd rather have an authentic conversation. The problem is that can go into this negative world. So the advice I got was when somebody asked you, how do you measure something? Don't start off by talking about, well, it's hard for this reason and this reason. Say, well, here's what we can do. Now, that bothers me. Because, for example, if somebody asks, well, how, how do you measure ROI for a campaign? And I say, well, one way we can do it is by doing direct mail and setting up a, you know, an independent phone number and measuring results based on that. Absolutely true. Fair answer. But it's not, it doesn't cover all the other parts of an integrated campaign, but it's a positive response. Right. It's the uh, how much I love my kids response. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to open with something like talk about the positives, yes. but then immediately follow it up with, but this is what it's going to cost or this is what it's going to cost to do that. Right. Are you comfortable with with that that amount being removed from your ROI equation here? And here are the things that are challenges in other ways. But here's how we co- overcome them. We just don't in, in our podcast and our blogs talk about those things, because to us, that's kind of obvious. And we want to talk more about the things that, that are harder and more difficult to grasp with. Uh, but then again, I think that can paint the conversation the wrong way. So I've stated that moving forward. After this one, though, can you slip <laughs> one more in there? One more. Because we were talking about why it's hard to measure things in healthcare marketing. One reason is because a lot of, a lot of what you're trying to drive people in for does not uh, lend itself to immediate responses. So general surgery, you can't drive people in right. and have an appendectomy. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another problem is the limited geography that most of these systems work in. Oh, the police are coming. They don't. The fuzz. They don't. They don't appreciate our. Oh, the fire. Discussion. They're gone now. Look, they turned off their siren right, right when they by went the by. They saw us. Thanks to them. Our podcast recording and session sign must be working. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so geographic limitation, and what I mean by that is if you're McDonald's. You could run an integrated brand campaign that's let's just say it's just TV advertising. And it's all about, you know, I'm loving it and how great it is to go to McDonald's. There's no coupon, there's no offer, there's no action step. You could run that campaign in various markets, control for the different size of the market, the different economic situations, all of that. And you could measure the impact of that campaign in increased sales mm-hmm. for comparing one, you know, let's say campaign A versus campaign B in a different market versus a control where there's no campaign in a third market and they're all similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shows you, that allows you to see what's effective and what isn't. It's very difficult for most healthcare systems to do that. There are some large ones, Sutter Health, Kaiser Permanente, where they have similar offerings, let's say a, a hospital, an acute care hospital, in various markets where they could isolate and do that. But the vast majority of our audience doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So like here in the Twin Cities, the biggest systems all of their hospitals are within the Twin Cities. If they run an ad, anybody going to any of those hospitals on TV, the ads on TV, is going to see it. So they can't control for that. So it eliminates the ability to do that control and measurement and see what's effective, Mm -hmm. which is not – I mean, there's other industries where that's the case, but it does make it more difficult in healthcare. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And again, direct mail is an example of where you can do that 
even within a limited geographic area because you can carve it up by zip codes and you can say to these zip codes, we're going to send this offer and this offer over here and no offer over here and see what the results are. Uh, but I always get a little concerned when you hear people who are, they're, they're a direct mail company or a CRM company saying, well, then that means that's all you should do. Or because you can measure internet advertising with click-throughs and visits, then that's all you should do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe there's any one tool that's all you should do. There's always integrated approaches. So, so you can certainly isolate one tactic and, and do that. But if you're trying to do this in a comprehensive way, you can't. Okay, so sorry for more cop out <laughs> reasons why you can't. But moving forward, we're dedicated. Right. We'll have to figure out how to bring that forward. Okay. I mean, it's, it's expensive. I mean, measuring your return on investment is not yeah. necessarily a cheap endeavor. Right. We've talked about systems you have to invest in. I mm-hmm. mean, let's say that you're a medium-sized health system and you want to do this right. You want to invest in a CRM capability and a call center capability. Mm-hmm. You're talking half a million bucks to a million bucks mm-hmm. to do that right. All right. So let's say you're spending a million dollars over the course of a year to get all that going and to run it the right way. That's a lot of ROI you're going to have to return over just to make up for the ability to measure it. Right. Which is why I think you see so few or, or way fewer than should. Uh, hospitals and health systems with those capabilities because mm-hmm. it's hard to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Once you do, you're set for years, theoretically. But it's very hard to make that case. So just proving that you can prove it is tough. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. Still not excuse. We still need to move this ball forward. Right? Right. Okay. All right. We're going to touch social media now, which we haven't talked a lot about recently. We've, no. been a good, oh, wow. we've done a good job of being balanced. Right? Sure. We, uh, I got an email from somebody we've known for years. She works in a small uh, critical access hospital. And here's, here was her email uh, to me because we had talked about social media. I know we touched briefly on the social media topic the last time we met and wanted, su- wanted to suggest it as one of your topics on your podcast. I'm seeing a ton, capital T-O-N, of information out there about how healthcare needs to jump on this. But honestly, I'm not seeing the benefit, nor do we have staff to manage. And, what, you know, we always hear from people that are unsure of how to get into social media and don't see the benefit and all of that. Yep. Uh, and, of course, we believe that there's value in all of this. But I think a lot of times when you're out there and you're seeing either it's in Twitter or it's in blogs or whatever, people advocating for it, they're talking about it kind of in absolute terms, in a vacuum, as if everything else you're doing is going well and you should be doing this as well. Uh, When you're in a smaller hospital or you're in any setting where your staff or your resources, your money, whatever, are limited Mm -hmm. and you're struggling to do a lot of the things you should be doing, then I think it's fair to say where does social media fit in that relative to what else you should be doing. Mm -hmm. For example, would we advocate that you pour all your resources, meaning staff time, energy, uh, leadership education, all the things that you need to really do social media right uh, if you don't have a solid, sophisticated physician outreach capability, that you're not reaching out to your referring physicians in a smart way to make sure the referral channels are working well. Right. If you're neglecting something if you're that's neglecting critical something to else. operations. Right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. I mean, in, in a vacuum, yeah, you should be doing those things with social media. But where does it fall? It's relative. You can't you can't just say you're you're moronic for not doing this. You have right. to understand every individual situation. Right. But here, one thing where I that that I push back on that a little bit. I think a lot a lot of organizations who have not even dipped their toe into the pool that is social media don't understand how easy it can be to just kind of get to get your feet wet with it and try it out and see what it's about. I think there's a lot there's a lot of people out there who just haven't tried it, don't know really anything about it and don't realize that this isn't going to you don't necessarily need to create a full-time position for somebody to manage this. Right. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be more than a few hours a week commitment from somebody to kind of keep up one of these channels, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or blogging, you know, putting up a new post once a week. Um, it doesn't have to, to start out with it. It doesn't have to be a massive time commitment. You can try it out. Well, what if pretty minimal financial and or time commitment? Let me push back on your pushback. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's easy to dip into it. But if you're going to to really use it for the value that it provides, it it isn't a toss off effort. It doesn't require staff no. or even no. a full time staff member necessarily. But if you're a lot of our listeners are one person marketing departments, and they're already handling PR, community relations, marketing, you know, and usually a couple other things tossed in there, right? Mm-hmm. Foundation work, whatever, and so. You know, even a few hours a week, but but you know, don't forget that they've got leadership who are clamoring for this, and they have to kind of hold their hands in what they're doing and how they're using it. And once you open that door, you have to be able to manage the expectations of other people in the organization to say, "Hey, now that we have a Facebook page, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this?" So they're thinking about not just the time it takes to update posts or respond to comments, but all that other work that happens behind the scenes internally. And to some of them, they go, look, I don't even want to open that door because I know what it's gonna, what's going to come after it because I can't even do this right or this right or any of the other thing hats I'm wearing don't fit right because I don't have the time. So I'm not saying they shouldn't go to social media. I just think it's a very fair question. And it needs to be taken into consideration with other things you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't disagree with that. But at the, at the same time, I'd also just kind of push back again a little bit and use the example of like um, Children's Hospital on Facebook. I think they have almost 800 followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 800 people who say they they would like to hear from you through this channel. If any other channel, if 800 people are asking, you know, and certainly a lot of them are, I'm sure a good chunk are employees, but even mm-hmm. so, um, can you say no to that? I mean, how, is, is, it, is it that easy to just say, no, I don't have time for that? I mean, is there any other, you certainly don't have 800 people asking you to, to hear from you through direct mail, yet you're probably doing that anyway. You don't have 800 people who are wanting to look you up in the yellow pages, okay. yet perhaps you're doing that anyway. But? Here's a spot where you here you can actually see like a like but a number of people asking for it but not apples to apples they're children's children's hospital is a huge system no it, they have not, a staff certainly. of many people I, I i agree so they have the capability to deal with it they're in a market where 800 people out of the 2 million in the twin cities relatively speaking in a small market might be 20 people right i don't i don't argue, i'm not comparing them to 
the one the one person right. marketing but that's where I slash think, that's HR where I mean. slash it's, it's not a one size fits all answer. It depends on and there may be systems like children's that that even though they're in a, a larger market uh, and and should have the capability, don't for whatever reason. Right. I mean, there's, but I, there's, I, I I bring right. that up because we have also heard from organizations that are big, who do, who aren't getting into social media, who haven't got into it yet, who are tr- who are struggling to see the value of it. Organizations who have people who probably have really probably have some extra time, a few hours a week, to start diving into it a little bit and trying it out. Yet they struggle to see the value of it. Yes, that's an, it's a different question. I, to understand the value of it's one thing, and I think we can we can all stand up and say there's value and show demonstrate what that is. Whether or not that value is enough to become the top priority when you have other priorities that aren't being taken care of is another question mm-hmm. and a very fair question. I think that's Definitely. what. Uh, our friend is bringing up, and I think it's valid. Yeah, uh, and you don't hear much about it talked or talked about when you hear all the people saying, you know, why aren't people, why aren't hospitals and social media? And, and it reminds me of um, Tom Stitt, who's a good friend of ours through Twitter. We've gone back and forth on the number of hospitals that we think should create the universe of those in social media because I think the numbers in like the number of hospitals on Twitter, for example, is like two hundred and fifty. Something like that. It's low. And when you look yeah. at the entire universe of hospitals in the, in the United States, it's like 5,000. I'm using rough numbers. but And that's the bigger number. I, mean, I think the number for like Facebook was even small, lower right. yet. And yeah. so to me, that sounds like you know, 200 out of 5,000 is a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Tom argues that there's probably no more than a few hundred hospitals or health systems that should consider social media as a, as a primary channel. Uh, yeah. And he's using he's using more sophisticated means to define that. Meaning, you got to have the staff, you got to have da 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 da. Right. So again, it's the children's health system, children's hospitals and clinics in Minnesota versus critical access hospital out in Podunk, Minnesota, uh, mm-hmm. where you can't just throw all those folks in there because they may not have the ability. Now, I still think I'm with you, Adam. That just because you're small doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing this. But I also think. Just because it's social media, you shouldn't just drop everything else and run to it. Right. 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 And we have, and we also I mean we have one client who has a limited budget and decided that they're going to throw everything at social media for a year to see how it goes. I mean that's another you know a, something else to consider. You know, right. not that you have to do it, but you could at least think about it rather than saying it's just not something I have time to do. Maybe you say for a year, let's just try this out, see what right. it's, see what it's all about, see if it's a good fit for us, see what the response is, see what we can measure through it and try it out. And I, and I also think that you don't hear a lot of conversation about the differences in organizations and maybe we can leave this for next time. But, uh, I tend to think that there, that children's has a built in benefit that other systems in town don't. Uh, and it's, it's not their fault. It's not, they're doing anything wrong, but they have a great, market position. Mm-hmm. They're a children's hospital, very focused. Right. They have an advantage in many ways mm-hmm. over other uh, hospitals because it's very clear what they're all about. That's fantastic. That, but that also, I think, and I don't have any research or deep thought to back this up, but it lends itself better to social media. You're working with kids. Their parents aren't the ones that are sick. They're the ones that are beside the patient and are also the ones that are going to have more passion and advocacy to participate in social media. 
Thus, it seems like they have a better situation to generate 800 Facebook followers mm -hmm. than an acute care hospital. Now, that's just a theory, but I, and again, it's nothing. I mean, kudos to Children's for for building that. I mean, they're taking advantage of that, but that doesn't mean that you could apply that model to another acute care hospital. They may. It's a little harder, I think. Yeah. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk more about that next time or see if people have feedback on that. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're running up against our 30-minute limit. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're like a sitcom. Though, you know, if we're like network TV, we should go over 30 minutes so that if you have our podcast set to TiVo, you're going to miss the end of it. <laughs> don't you hate it when networks do that? They do that. I, don't, I don't use TiVo, actually, so I don't know how it You, Mr. Tech guy? I don't either. I don't watch TV. I watch the programming I watch. I, I've probably stated it before on our show, is, is online. So um, I, uh, yeah. iTunes downloads it, and I watch it when I want to watch it. See, but I have a nice big fat TV. I don't want to watch stuff on my computer. I don't necessarily watch it on my computer. I watch it on my TV. Oh, because you got... So you it. are Mr. Tech. I, stream, I was going to say that's it. pretty tech. I stream it to the little Apple TV, which is hooked up to the TVs. That's true. Fair <laughs> enough. All Adam right. wins. Adam wins. He wins again. <laughs> All right. So for Healthcare Marketing Insights, this is Chris Bevelo. Adam Meyer. Jackie Ritacco. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.